Hello and welcome. You are listening to In the Den with Mama Dragons. I'm your host, Jen. This podcast was created out of our desire to walk and talk with you through this journey of raising happy, healthy, and productive LGBTQ humans. We are so happy that you're here with us. Families and communities have rituals and traditions and events. And all these things come with expectations from various people. Emotions can run high and hot. Pictures and long-lasting memories are often formed at these events. Sometimes we cannot meet everyone's expectations, but we want the best chance of preserving important relationships and making space to honor identity. And we want to give as much room as possible for family and community to feel respected while holding on to our own essential boundaries. To help us all navigate these often murky waters, we have invited Laura Skaggs to chat with us today. Laura Skaggs is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in treating spiritual trauma at the intersection of LGBTQ plus experiences and religion. Laura earned her master's degree in marriage and family therapy at San Diego State University with an emphasis in LGBTQ plus mental health within conservative religious social contexts. Laura is also the creator of Queers Empowerment Groups, a practice designed to help LGBTQ plus individuals and their supporters confront social discrimination and internalized stigma. Laura is the mother of two daughters and presently sees clients full-time as a part of Flourish Therapy. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. We are so happy to have you here with us today. I didn't actually tell you this before, but what I'd like to do for this is to just (laughs) pose a bunch of questions to you, specifically about family events, and get some advice about how to process these conversations. And I'd like to just kind of toss them at you spontaneously. I have probably too many questions, and I'm confident that we're going to run out of time to answer them all. But how does that sound to you? That sounds like the Wild West. Let's get into it. (laughs) I I wanted to be specifically surprised at the questions, even though you've probably heard all of them before. So let's start with a super common dilemma, the same-sex wedding. Ah. (laughs) Weddings have a lot of tradition and a lot of expectation. They sure do. Yeah, let's start from the couple's perspective first. What are the expectations of who needs to be invited to these events? And what sort of boundaries can we set for the attendance of guests? Oh, and I'm going to add on to that before I let you answer. What sort of information needs to be shared? Like, do we need to include things like Jeff and Billy are getting married? Be aware that Jeff will be wearing a gorgeous wedding gown to help people (laughs) prepare people to be on their best behavior. That was a lot of questions. (laughs) So in in the case of a same sex wedding, what we're talking about is a day that is first and foremost about two adults celebrating their love for each other. And so because we are potentially speaking on behalf of adults, we have to put how they feel and the messages that they're comfortable with at the center. So the first principle that I would want people to think about is how do I be collaborative with my child and not get ahead of them, right? So in terms of, say, you know, putting people on a on a guest list, we would want to know who our child wants on that guest list, who they feel safe with, who they feel comfortable with. And, you know, we would want to know what kind of messaging they're comfortable with. So we don't want to get ahead. We don't want to, especially when we're, when we're advocating um, or speaking on behalf of, of younger children. The younger someone is, the more we have to step in and make some maybe decisions 
that they're not able to make because they are young. But when we're advocating or we're speaking on behalf of adults, we really, really have to be in alignment with what it is that they feel safe and comfortable with about that day. And especially on, on the day of a marriage, nobody wants to be stepping into that space, you know, feeling like, gosh, I wish so-and-so wasn't here and, or I'm, I'm afraid of what so-and-so is thinking, or I had to invite this person because otherwise my mom would have been upset or my dad would have been upset. But really, you know, I feel very uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be like triggered on their wedding day. So what about the opposite angle for those um, who probably will never listen to this, but maybe maybe we can take the advice to them. Um, Those who simply do not feel that their personal values can allow them to tend the wedding of a queer couple or like a polyamorous situation. What sort of advice or wisdom do you have for those people who just cannot abide this wedding? I, my wish is always that people will keep listening to other people's stories. You know, if, if the way that you have come to understand same-sex marriage or same-sex love has been really shaped by some really rejecting or negative ideas, it's, it's really, you know, engaging with people's stories, it's really hard not to at least find some place in your heart that can celebrate with them, um, at least like the joy and the love that they're feeling, even if you don't know how to wrap your head around the marriage or that two people of the same gender are allowed to have a sexual relationship. Can you just maybe wrap your head around just the joy of finding a person that you're so compatible with that you love and that you want to spend your life with? Can you celebrate that they have that beautiful companionship? And I think it's hard not to do that when you listen to people's stories, just like when I hear a beautiful story of a heterosexual couple falling in love, like, oh, you know, here's how we met. Here's what what I loved about them. Here's like why, you know, my day is better just when they call or when they come over and I'm so excited to to have a life with them. Can you connect to that part? If even if you don't know how to connect to the to the ritual marriage part or the I don't I don't know how to connect to celebrating um, their sexual relationship because my values teach me that that is not okay. All right, I'm sticking with the wedding. At first, we're just going to cover every angle of weddings. Um, What about expectations when you're potentially the guests at the wedding? Example, inside our groups, parents often get messages like this or will ask questions of us like this. Aunt Susie would like all of my daughters, my kids, to be flower girls. But one of my children is actually a transgender boy. How do I support Aunt Susie and my son at the same time? How do you suggest families negotiate these sticky things? Because obviously, Susie, it's her wedding. Yeah. As a parent, you know, first and foremost, we have this role of protecting our child's safety, right? Safety is such a big defining principle and and protecting that safety, again, in an age-appropriate, age-relevant kind of way. And so, you know, if if you have a trans son, you know, they, they deserve to feel safe and to be who they are no matter where they go, right? So it wouldn't be any more than it would, you know, you or I, Jen. I mean, like if someone was asking us to show up as a man and we're not men, like it wouldn't be appropriate, even though they might be asking very nicely. And we really, I mean, most of us come from cultures of niceness. We love being nice. We all want to be nice. Yes. Um, but, you know, the distress and discomfort and dissafety and having to pretend to be someone we're not for someone else, that's not something that we want to take on. And that's, you know, that wouldn't be healthy to put on our children either. And so 
you know, that that might be one of those situations where you say, you know, you have to say, you know, we are all so supportive and excited for your wedding. Also, so-and-so, you know, wouldn't feel comfortable wearing a dress and presenting as, as female. And so that's where it sounds like a, converse, a conversation, depending on, you know, how that, <laughs> how that information went, you know, how to sort of proceed in that conversation. But again, uh, you know, how, how we might advocate for a child is really dependent on their age. Sometimes they will tell us exactly what they would wish us to convey. And we want to convey that as kindly and of course, lovingly, we're not out to hurt anybody, but sometimes they might be very young. And so we have to step more into that role and be a little more, um, you know, thoughtful about what messages that we want to send as a parent and, and messages around safety and comfort. Those, those are often part of these kinds of conversations of being able to say, you know, my child deserves to feel safe on this big day. Everybody deserves to feel welcome as they are for who they are. Um, and so how do, how do we create, you know, some sort of plan that really centers that rather than ask someone to be someone that they're, they're not. While you were talking, I thought of how cute it would be to have the cute little boy be a flower person also, and not just in his little tuxedo with his sisters <laughs> passing out the flowers. There's yeah, lots of right. compromises, right? Yeah. Which, yeah. Depending on someone's understanding of this, that that's also a part of that dialogue is maybe they're just not aware. And then when they become aware there, there's some openness and flexibility. Um, obviously some pe- people might respond. Absolutely not. I, you know, and that, that might be, really outside of their understanding of how to integrate that. So there's a lot of avenues that that, that right. can certainly go. As we know, we've all run into these really sticky situations where nobody wants to create something escalating in some sort of conflict, but there are a lot of gaps in people's understanding, especially, you know, you brought up an issue of gender identity. There's so many gaps in people's understanding of gender identity right now. So this is the place where we often have to do the most educating and it's, it's kind of an uphill battle. A mom's responsibility to protect her child sometimes requires a bit of sacrifice. Yeah. Another one that we come see come up a lot in our groups uh, sounds like this. We would love to invite your whole family to our wedding, but since it's our special day, we don't really want Beth to bring her girlfriend because we're not okay with them exposing the children to that. Ooh, that is such an ugly, yucky, unfounded assumption. And that I would hope would be a place where a parent would really speak up. It's sad how common it is. Yeah, it's very sad. This would be a place potentially where a a family member... Um, would say, you know, I, I understand your concern for children and safety. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a concern all parents have. On the other hand, there's nothing unsafe about so-and-so and her partner. And that would be very hurtful for me to ask her and them not to come and to be able to say that. Sometimes just saying that, the per- people will back off. And step back a little bit. Yeah. Just, just saying, you know, no, that, 
that would not be okay for me to say that. That would be hurtful for me to say that. Sometimes that's enough for people to realize. Sometimes that's not enough. And then you have a choice. You know, it's like, I am not going to convey that message to my child, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) We will not be passing that along. Yeah, I won't be passing that along. That doesn't feel healthy and safe. That feels harmful to me. It's so important for us to learn these skills. A lot of us grew up in different cultures where contention wasn't a value. We were taught to avoid contention at all costs. And so as we navigate, sometimes it can feel like we're trying to create contention to other people where really we're trying to avoid contention by creating situations that are realistic and healthy for everyone. But there's a learning, there's a learning curve to that. Hopefully conversations like this help. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think, I think in these conversations, we want to assume they tend to go best when we assume good intent, right? When we assume that even the people who are asking us to sort of participate in the discrimination of our own child, essentially, right? That's how it feels. And so tell your child that they can't come. Tell your child they can't come as themselves. Can you convey that to them? And, you know, we, we, we can empathize and we should empathize with our friends and family members who are maybe asking this of us because they're obviously saying that out of, um, you know, some, some, some outdated ideas where they think they are doing something protective for their children, right? But hopefully that's an opportunity for us to step in and say, gosh, you know, that, that actually wouldn't be okay. That would actually be really hurtful to my child and I would not be comfortable conveying that. I love I that f- idea. I would, I would not be comfortable <laughs> conveying that. I'm going to memorize that line. I would not be comfortable conveying that. Uh, that I, I know them. I know my child. That would hurt them so much. Um, and seeing how they just, just first seeing how they respond to that. If they, if they insist on that, that, that does put you in a tricky situation, doesn't it? Of like, are you, are you now uninvited? Are you invited, but your child's not invited? to kind of see where that, that conversation evolves. And it's hard. I know as a parent, um, so I have one queer child and it is very hard to imagine wanting to be somewhere where your child isn't welcome. Absolutely. No. And I think that's, I think that's also something we can say, gosh, I want so much to be a part of this beautiful day, but it's hard to want to be somewhere where my child isn't welcome. And just offer that and see how they respond to that. We want to give people as much space to maybe rethink what it is that they're doing. Because I think they this may be the very first time where they are confronted with how hurtful these messages and ideas are. And maybe this is a moment to reflect. And you being someone who can maybe hold some space for that. I can remember early on in our journey repeating to my kids over and over, we're all invited or none of us are invited. We're all invited or none of us are invited to help my younger kids understand that we wouldn't be ditching one and leaving him behind. Um, I'm going to leave weddings unless you have any other things that come up a lot in therapy about weddings. Sure, We could probably do a whole episode on weddings and probably, you know, maybe a round table of same sex couples talking about how they navigate. (laughs) It's like, it could be, if, if nothing else, it'd be fun. Yeah, Yeah, it would. There's a lot of there's a lot of pieces to it, for sure. So a lot another 
important community, like family rituals tend to happen around religious milestones in a lot of different faiths. So we have like christenings or Catholic rites or ordinations, and these things are generally designed to bring family together. But can you talk for a minute about, first of all, how the, why those things are important to family, but also why it can be difficult to expect our queer ones or their immediate families to participate in those spaces? Yeah. I mean, that in in general, again, I mean, we already touched on this in talking about weddings because that is a, a ritual, right? And often it's a religious ritual, although it can all um, just as often not be religious. Um, but sometimes in these spaces, people are expected to step into these particular rituals from a gendered place, right? Um, so much about religion is gendered. Yeah, it is. It, it, it often religion is is very there's there's only a gender binary and there's there's not a spectrum. And so if you have a child um, somewhere on that spectrum, it can the the message is there's there's not a place you know for for them to participate. And so I mean, yeah, like anything, you know, it helps the more we get into some specifics. But anytime as a family you're engaging in something together you want it to be because it's helping build relationship not diminish someone in the family or or contribute to someone feeling left out so you know if those principles are sort of guiding our decision making i think that can help us decide what's best and i'd like to acknowledge the number of queer people who have experienced actual trauma inside some of these religious spaces so even if the family themselves is amazingly inclusive and warm and friendly, just entering some of those buildings can be a, a dangerous experience for some queer people who need to be respected in their choice to meet up later <laughs> for dessert at the family home or uh, go out to dinner or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so in that vein, you know, again, checking, checking in with a child, there's this thing coming up. How are you feeling about it? What happens when you imagine attending? How does that feel for you? If our child is telling us, I feel it feels distressing, it feels uncomfortable, I feel like I don't want to go, I feel like I'm going to be wondering what, you know, this person's thinking, or I worry about how I'm going to be treated, like, that should matter to us, even though, even though we're feeling safe, our child may be having a totally different experience, and, and we want to honor that, and again, you know, usually where there is past trauma or potential for trauma, the principle of honoring that person's agency of like, okay, what do you see as your options? Well, I see myself attending and like, I don't know, like sitting next to so-and-so and, or I, yeah, like you mentioned, oh, I see myself, you know, joining up later, or I see myself attending for 10 minutes and then maybe leaving, or I see myself, you know, like them potentially sort of naming off some options and us saying, okay, well, what do you have all those options? What do you feel the best about and how can I support you? That idea of support kind of leads into my next question, like kind of to connect those. But is there something we can do, those of us, especially with adult children, if your child is 30 and is invited to this family space and you're trying to help them negotiate, are there things we can do to make some of these events more gentle for those who might feel uncomfortable? Again, without getting into like specifics of events, it's hard to, to try to troubleshoot things. And I guess that kind of brings me into a lot of these situations, they do need to be workshopped. So that would be an idea that I would want to plant in people's heads is like, first and foremost, 
we do need spaces where we can talk about how hard this is to navigate. Sometimes we need to talk, you know, we need to have spaces where we can sort of vent out some of our frustrations and our fears. And then we do need spaces where we can, you know, sit and talk about, okay, what, what options do I have for navigating this? And what do I feel best about? And where we're in the role, especially of dealing with adult children or children who are older in age, maybe they're minors, but they're, you know, they're teenagers, essentially, we need to workshop all of that also with them, because we can't effectively advocate on their behalf or help them navigate these things if we're not really attuned to their wishes and what they, you know, do and do not feel comfortable with. Um, we might end up doing harm. And so workshopping some of these things in safe spaces really ultimately empowers us that when, you know, those moments come, we have been able to process our emotions. We've been able to listen and hopefully empower the voice of the LGBTQ plus person who we're wanting to support and protect. And hopefully everyone can feel, you know, when that day comes, whatever that plan is that we come up with, we can now be present, right? We can be on the same page. We can let our child know, hey, if, if you know, if this all just goes haywire, just shoot me a text or, you know, squeeze my hand and we'll leave. You know, we have this little backup plan of like, if it just is all too much, you and me, let's just get out of there, <laughs> right? We like um, exit strategies. <laughs> yeah, some exit strategies or if something goes wrong, how will we cope? That can all be talked about in as we workshop these situations. And that's, you know, as a therapist, I'm doing that all the time, whether it's with LGBTQ people or their parents. We're workshopping situations and we have a plan of how we're going to navigate it. We processed everything that it brings up for us. And then in the end, we've we've identified, okay, if it all just goes the absolute worst, how am I going to cope? Who am I going to turn to? You know? Yeah. What's my, what, where's, where's my go-to comfort food? Like at the end of the day, if this is just an awful experience or an experience that I just don't want to engage in or continue, you know, what am I going to do to regroup and get support and still move forward and be okay? So these are just some principles I'm hoping that will help guide people and to think about, you know, Overall, how do I prepare for these situations beforehand so I can be present when they come and then regroup if they don't go well? Because there's no guarantee, like no matter how much we might pre-plan some of these things, we we can't always predict how they'll go. And we have to know how we're going to cope and piece ourselves back together and still be okay. And not every relationship is sustainable despite our best efforts. Gosh, isn't that the truth? I, I wish it were otherwise. Absolutely. Okay. So holidays. Talk to me about holidays. Holidays are ripe with ambitious expectations. Somehow, I don't know where we all started doing this, but we expect people to all suddenly become the people that we need them to be. We have these Norman Rockwell visions of Christmas morning or Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. (laughs) It's never realistic. It doesn't look like that for any of us. But every year it comes around and we have these high hopes. What suggestions do you have for us to work through these family events, right? Maybe we have Uncle George who thinks he's hilarious by, you know, his occasional homophobic jokes and that awesome transphobic meme he saw the other day. And you're at this family dinner. How do we negotiate those that holiday situation? With, sometimes yeah. we don't even know who's showing up. 
Right. Yeah. This stuff is so, so tricky. Although sometimes it like when someone maybe in the family is maybe known to, you know, say insensitive things in some ways, it does become predictable, you know, like, we know what to expect from Uncle George. Yeah, we know a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, okay, well, we know if so and so will be attending something insensitive might be said. And I, I would, I would say, you know, it really depends on where a queer person is in working through and healing from their trauma. So most queer people, when they grow up, they internalize a lot of negative messages that, you know, whether it's culture, society at large, religious teachings, um, a lot of negative messages about themselves. And, and then as they're trying to integrate a positive identity, you know, they, there's a lot of work in, in dispelling and expelling those old ideas, right? And so, you know, for some people, if they're really at a tender early place in their journey and they're exposed to a situation like that, it can just feel like it goes right into an open wound, right? It can, it can really do damage. Um, and so for someone like that, they might need a lot of boundaries, right? For other people, they might be at a place where their their core positive identity around themselves um, is maybe stronger. And so they can have an, uh, an experience like that, whereas they still don't like it, but it's not going to have the same impact as it would to maybe someone who's in a more vulnerable place. And so, again, this is where you you really want to check in with where your your, your child is at, because if a comment like that is really going to be devastating to them and you know, you have a family member who says things like that all the time. Well, that, I mean, let's, let's not, let's not just like create, um, you know, sort of a, a forum for that. But at the same time, if, if you've got a kid who's like, Oh yeah, I don't care about uncle so-and-so he's just, you know, they're more like whatever about it. Then that is part of how queer people learn to navigate the world. We have to, we are constantly having to decide when to hold them and when to fold them. And parents have to decide with their kids, is it worth it, you know, going into a space, um, depending on where I'm at or my, where my kid is at or, or not. I mean, sometimes it is worth it to them. Like, I want to see all my cousins. I want to see everyone else. And I'm just going to avoid uncle so-and-so. And, you know, that doesn't matter to me. Or other times, gosh, if, you know, even just seeing him, knowing what he said last year, I just can't this year. I'm going to have to, I just don't want to go. And you as a parent being able to say, I hate that that's where this is at right now, but I, I respect that. And I'm respecting your your choices to to be, and you deserve to feel safe, right? And we want to convey that to to our kids. So it's not sort of a one size fits all thing. We want to empower where they're at and be sensitive to where they're at. And the reality is that LGBTQ people, just like people from other minority groups have had to learn and are in the process of learning, how do I deal with a world, within a world, like where I may encounter incidences of social discrimination? Is the answer always, I don't go to that place? Or do I have to pick and choose? Do I know that when I go to a place that I have an ally with me, is my mom willing to say, you know, if so-and-so says something, I will speak up for you. So I'm curious how you're reacting to all of that, Jen. Uh, I actually like the way you're differentiating it because I have two of my own. <laughs> and one of them thinks it's hilarious when 
I made up the name Uncle George, but like Uncle George spouts off his things. My older one uh, thinks it's hilarious and doesn't affect him personally at all. It just It's like a comedic act almost from the person who's being cruel. And then I have another who's deeply affected and wounded by these yeah. things and um, is not at all amused and takes it very personally and uh, is wounded for days. And so sometimes when we're negotiating different events, we're talking to two different kids who have two yeah. very, very well, different responses. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you said something about mom's going to stand up for you or say something. And that was actually something I wanted to ask about. What is like socially acceptable or expected? I know I stand up every time, every time and everybody's just kind of expecting it because I've been loud for a long time. Um, <laughs> and sometimes my kids will tell me specifically, like, let's just let it go this time. And I respect that. But what's yeah. like the average curve of like, how often are we really needing to stand up so that the queer person or any marginalized community doesn't consistently have to stand up for themselves every minute. Yeah. So I think of a baseline of where to start is going back to the Family Acceptance Project. So anyone who's not familiar with that, that is um, just a fantastically insightful research project where they really looked at how families respond to their LGBTQ youth and how those responses are either affirming and supportive or potentially rejecting. And then how those responses uh, are either correlated or well, are correlated either with um, increased in suicide ideation or decreases in suicide ideation or like improved mental health. And so, you know, most of us, you know, hopefully we're most interested in what <laughs> helps us decrease suicide ideation, right? And, and convey acceptance. And one of the things that they identified on that list, and if you, you should go and look at all of it, if you're listening to this podcast, it'll be super empowering for you. I'm going uh, to interrupt really fast before, because I want you to say that, but episode two of our podcast is actually Caitlin Ryan talking about this entire project, which I think so everyone go, should listen to, yeah, but, so but go keep going. That. So one, one of the ways that kids, you know, knew and felt that they were accepted and as an outgrowth had better mental health was that their parents stood up for them, that they advocated for them, that they, that they, you know, they, they took that route of being able to stand up for their child. And so again, especially when you have a child who's a, a minor, but you know, adults too, this isn't easy for anyone when someone's willing to essentially take on some of the stigma. That's what we're talking about, right? Take on some of the stigma and take on some of the discomfort and say, hey, you know what? Like that thing that you just said, that that's not okay. Or, you know, that that was really hurtful. Or, you know, I just want you to know I'm not okay with that. Even if <laughs> even if my queer child is just so cool as a cucumber about it, you know, for us we'll say, gosh, that's my kid. And I don't feel okay with you talking about this like that. Please, please don't don't say that anymore. You know, us being able to do that not only shows, you know, our child that we love them, but it also you're modeling how they're potentially going to learn how to be able to better do that for themselves. So queer people don't really grow up with a lot of role models. Often we're we're often raised by, you know, straight hetero parents and 
but we're still looking to mentors to like teach us how to navigate the world as ourselves. Um, and so I think it models something really healthy. Like I am deserving of like being treated with respect. Like I am worth speaking up for. I do deserve to feel safe and I do deserve to have dignity. I like I how you that. specifically said my kid. I've had multiple instances where somebody will say something and I say to them, you get that you're talking about my kid, right? And they're like, yeah. no, 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 not him. Um, and I'm like, when you're making these generalized statements, you need to know that it is my kid that you're talking about that you're hitting. Because I think there's like this obscure uh, view that you can talk about the community and inside <laughs> you have exceptions, right? Like all the gay people except Jackson. That's what I meant. Um, <laughs> kind of energy. Right. And right. I, for, for me, it's been successful to say you're talking about my child. And it's kind of almost like a little light bulb for them where they're like, oh, I guess that is your kid. I actually like him. (laughs) So he counts. (laughs) My child counts. They are they are in that body of of people. Thank you very much. Yeah, I liked how you included that in the language. Um, I want to move. Holidays are tricky and weddings can be tricky and all of these things can be tricky, but I think one area that gets particularly crunchy is funerals. There's a lot of motions with all of the things, but funerals might be possibly among the most vulnerable and emotional times for families. And I want to go again, it seems as I'm saying these out loud and we're talking about them, it seems like it's the same question over and over and over, just in yeah, a different in building. Some, in some ways it is, but it's okay. I mean, we we need to get into all of these spaces because they they do bring they tend to bring up so much emotion and it you know they're they're worth discussing in and of themselves and again like it's hard when we're not talking specifics because most things do need to be workshopped they really do yeah I, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw you an example a funeral one that we see often except different roles you can replace the role but the basic gist of it is my my father just passed away and my mother would like my daughter to participate as one of the pallbearers, but only if she will look like she used to look like a boy so that my mother can feel comfortable. So we now have a situation where we don't want to hurt a child and we're trying to respect our mother's wishes regarding the funeral of her spouse and all of the emotions she has around that. Give us some of your workshoppy ideas. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, I can, I, I can see how, you know, you literally have both, you know, sort of sides of the family tree, you know, the <laughs> generation sort of tugging at both sides. So I think, you know, I'm feeling a lot of empathy as you're telling this story. And, you know, I cannot, I, ca- I can't speak for that particular young person, but I, you know, I, I, I'm totally uncomfortable. This I will own is my opinion. I'm totally uncomfortable with anyone having to do anything that they don't feel healthy, safe, comfortable doing. And so it like as a parent, you probably have some gauge on how your child would react to that. Right? If 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 you know you have a childhood who who would be hurt by that request, like you already know it, you probably don't even need to ask that child. Do you want to do this thing that <laughs> I know could really create all kinds of distress and discomfort and hurt for you? That like you, again, that someone else asking you to be the messenger of something that is hurtful or discriminatory to your child is something that we probably should say, no, I'm not, I don't want to be sort of the carrier pigeon of harm to my child. 
right? And it happens a lot, right? Even my yeah. when they're getting close to 30, because they know it's a little bit squishy. So they're going to come to you yeah. and then you so, can negotiate it. Sure. You know, so you may able to say, you may able to, you know, this is the point where we need to be able to say to people, I hear what you're saying. I'm glad that you want them to participate. Unfortunately, I know that if I were to ask them that, that would hurt them so much to be asked to show up as someone else. That's not something that I'm willing to ask them to do. The idea of being invited as yourself to participate is often an honor, but the idea of being invited to participate if you pretend to be someone else seems like an entirely different message. Right. So then again, that gives that us that, you know, this moment for the person asking us to, they have to pause and, and think about, okay, do I want to insist on this or, or them not participating at all? Or do I have any sort of flexibility about what it is that I originally came to you about? Because Jen or mom or dad is not willing to convey this to the child. Like, I, I know this would be hurtful to ask. I'm not, I'm not comfortable asking them to do that. I like all. that too, because I'm most likely to be like, um, a weird request, but I guess I could ask them. Yeah, um, but, I, I like mean, your idea but, of like, I'm not going to even, that one's just bad. I'm just yeah. not even asking that I mean, one. But that is you helping at least beginning to convey to whoever is asking, say, gosh, I know this child. And that would be such a hurtful thing to ask of them. And that would be so uncomfortable to ask them to show up in that way. That's not something I would be comfortable doing. I so guess what if they're adults, thoughts? they can ask them themselves, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if they, but you know, and it's like, but we're letting them know. I just, I just, so you know, I think that is going to hurt them. Yeah. You've warned um, them in advance. Yeah. And so now they have, again, they have a choice, but you're not going to be, you're not going to take part in conveying that this is because just by you asking there's potentially an underlying message that you are now wanting them to do this right grandma wants it and mom wants it right how do you say no if this is what the message is this is what we want you to do and so that potentially is sort of carried through that string of telephone <laughs> that is occurring yeah. uh, the amount of pressure that would put on me to know that multiple generations wanted me to do something. I, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think, I mean, most of us who grew up in really traditional, whether it's um, conservative context or, 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 or religious context, we know what it's like to feel a lot of familiar pressure about all sorts of things, right? <laughs> so we can hopefully relate to that on some level. But yeah, us being able to, to go back and, and to be able to say, you know, when I imagine them being asked to do that, I just imagine that being really distressing for them. I imagine that being really hurtful to them. I don't feel comfortable asking them to do that. I don't think that's a good idea. All of the wording of that leaves them with options. And I, yeah. and I like that. You're we're, stating we're something them, clearly. Yeah, we're asking them to, to consider the harm that could be done by continuing to ask for this. We're not condemning them. I like that. We're not judging anybody. We're helping them to have a window into what it's like to be our child that they, if they really understood, they wouldn't be asking. And that's the truth. I love that. An opportunity to help them see through a different 
pair of goggles, I guess, experience goggles. <laughs> I know even for myself as the mom, just discovering that my kid was queer, I could hear conversations in a way that I had been completely unable to hear before. I imagined that some of these phrases or sentences were damaging until yeah. I was able to like really connect and be personal with the individual who was potentially being hurt by them. And so it's easy for me to imagine that people are saying things and just really just can't even hear yeah. yet how painful it might be. And you're just kind of maybe dropping that little hint to let them give them a chance to consider that. I like that. This is a little bit probably outside of the realm of parenting, um, but a tricky situation that seems to come up a lot also in our groups is communication around funerals with like uh, the event itself or in obituaries where maybe all of the family wasn't super affirming and it's the queer person who's passed away. So maybe using mm. pronouns and names that the deceased has long ago left behind or yeah. um, <laughs> referring to your wife you know, like you've passed away and they're referring to your wife as your friend, um, those those kind of situations. And I know there's legal, uh, you know, obligations yeah. about who's in charge of what happens, but sometimes that's not particularly respectful of the individual's identity. So what kind of things are appropriate for friends and family to do in, in this, these kind of tricky situations where there's really differing beliefs about actually the person who's passed on? Yeah, yeah, no, I think, you know... Uh, to me, the starting point is, is always, um, you know, trying to feel into empathy um, and experiences that every single one of us has had times in our lives where someone told our story in a way that didn't feel good or told our story in a way that felt totally incongruent with how we would tell it. That's such a beautiful um, way to put that. And when someone passes on, we are in a very sacred role of trying to tell their story, not our story. We're trying to honor their story. And so, you know, when I listen to what, you know, trans people, non-binary people, LGBT people, you know, about their identities or, you know, or about who they love, like, these are really important parts of their stories, especially because they're often the parts of their stories that they've fought really hard to integrate, right? To say, gosh, despite all of these other voices and, and, and ideas and um, pressures, this is who I choose to be in the world. This is who I choose to love. I mean, that, that is a, a very, it's a, it's a it's a story that's very consciously chosen and unusually hard won, and so that that th those are the principles that I would want at the center of how queer people are talked about when they pass on. Like, are are we telling some story of them that they wouldn't recognize? Is <laughs> are we telling a story about them that um, you know that that would be hurtful? how are we keeping that sacred trust of telling their story? And what if the family doesn't, what are some options for other people who would like to share that story in a yeah, more I've, authentic I've way? I've seen that happen. I've seen, I've seen, you know, sort of separate, you know, friend led peer led um, gatherings, you know, that, that, that try to do just that of like, this family is is really struggling 
to honor these really core parts of this person's life. Uh, but this is how we knew them. And we want to, you know, we want to hold that candlelight vigil. We want to hold, hold that, that graveside um, meeting and to share those stories and honor that part of them that they, maybe their family is still struggling to see, accept, honor, value. I, I, and I think that is an, I think that's incredibly um, honoring of, of the queer person. It becomes increasingly tricky in situations where like previous to marriage equality, or if names haven't been legally changed, because sometimes we go back instead of the spouse, the chosen partner, we're back yeah. a generation yeah. um, to people who are trying to heal their own hurt and their own wounds but didn't really have that relationship. Those are tricky. And we do, we do see it often. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, people will talk about protesting a funeral. Um, what, what do you think about those kind of things? Like we're all going to show up and protest the funeral because that's not her name. I'm so for empowering people's agency to really consider like what they're doing and why. I mean, there, there might be a queer person who's literally said to their friends, if I die and my family dead names me, I want you to show up and protest. <laughs> I can hear that. I can hear that conversation. Right. I absolutely. That too. I can hear that too. And in that way, they would be honoring their friend, wouldn't they? Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, in other instances, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's less appropriate. I mean, I like, I, I'm not a one size fits all person. You're probably noticing that as this conversation goes on. <laughs> I do want people workshopping things. I do want people saying, okay, here's the three options I can see for myself. And can you see any others? And okay, which one feels the best to me? And, you know, how can I move forward in a way that honors both my values and my child? You know, and most of us have values around family. Most of us have values about relationships. Most of us have values about love and kindness and empathy. And we want to be able to have these difficult conversations, um, not by sort of escalating vitriol or conflict if we can help it, right? That's not our goal. So most of us want to move forward. It's like, how do, how do I say and do the right thing for my child? And how do I do it in a way that I feel like I'm trying to be as loving still as possible? And at the end of the day, I know even when I try my best, it might not go the way I want it to. And how do I still be okay? So I just thought of this. You've used the word workshopping several times and yeah. conversationally, I was right with you. And yes. I, it just dawned on me that maybe somebody listening does not know what that means. Yeah. So how, yeah. how, how do you workshop? Who do you go to? What do you, what is it? <laughs> so I, you know, I want to use that word in a really informal way. Okay. But essentially what happens in say a mama dragons group oftentimes is that is the, you know, a form of that workshopping where someone posts a situation, you know, this and this is happening and everyone's like, you know, I can totally understand how you feel and validating the difficulty. Right. And someone's saying, gosh, I, you know, I had a similar experience and this is what I ended up doing. Um, but you know, maybe it, yours is a little bit different, but I feel you right. Like what's starting to happen in these moments is that 
A, you, you're not having to deal with this on your own because it is a lot. Like, let's face it. And so you're able to like use other people as a sounding board, as a place uh-huh. to process your emotions. Because oftentimes these conversations go better if we're not like falling apart inside, right? <laughs> like, or we're not filled with just absolute frustration. We're able to be much more caring and loving if we've processed that somewhere else, right? We don't have to carry that into the conversation. So when we workshop things, we're able to like flesh out our emotions, get some validation, think about what avenues we have to to move forward and then to to like really pick one. And oftentimes in this process, we're also needing to check in with our kid about all these things too. How are you feeling about all of this? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling hurt? Are you feeling upset? Are you feeling devastated? You know, and what do you see as the possible avenues of how we move forward together? And please know, like at every step, I want to support you. And then you're looking at those avenues maybe together. Your child's saying, absolutely this way, not that way. You know, I, oh gosh, I just don't even want the confrontation with so-and-so. I really can't handle that right now. And then we say, okay. Right. Or maybe you can't handle it, but I can handle it. Do you feel comfortable with me handling it? Yes, I do. Actually, no, I don't. No, I don't, mom. No, I don't, dad. I just, I don't, I just need to avoid this situation right now because it's too much for me with everything else going on in my life. Right. There's not a one size fits all when you're collaborating with your child. Again, (laughs) so ever like, yeah. And so if, you know, when you're workshopping with them, you're looking at those different avenues and we're trying to empower what, what feels manageable and safe and healthy for them. Um, There are other times where maybe a family member shows up, says something uncomfortable to you and you, you maybe share that with your child, or maybe you don't share that with your child. Maybe you just handle that on your own and then you're not passing along the hurt. (laughs) Is that right? Like some of the situations that we talked about saying, actually, that, you know, if you were to convey that to my child, or if I was to be the messenger of that, that would feel so awful. I know that would hurt them and hurting them would hurt me. And I just don't feel uncomfortable with that at all. I'm not sure what we should do in this situation, but I know if we go that route, it's just going to be hurtful and I I can't get on board. And maybe we never tell our child that that happened because we, they're not in a place to hear it and not feel hurt. I love, um, in my own experience, Queer teens and young adults are amazingly self-perceptive, despite often working also through trauma and having other issues. They seem, and it makes me wonder if it's partly related to these conversations where they have to become a little bit more protective and in tune and have chances to converse about it, where we maybe make more assumptions with our cisgender heterosexual kids and, you know, tell them that they're just going to have to suck it up because that's just the way Uncle George is or whatever. Um, I wonder if that's part of the superpower of our queer teens and young adults that they get a little bit more required of them when it comes I mean, to like really thinking these things through. Sure. I mean, it's 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 a point potentially of learned and developed resiliency. It's like, you know, we um, in terms of like other minority groups uh, or vulnerable groups or discriminated against groups of people, like if you are a person of color or you are an immigrant, 
most likely you have parents or oftentimes you have parents or at least community who are also a part of that community and they model how to navigate discrimination. They are modeling how to navigate racism and they're modeling like literally when to hold them and when to fold them. But most of the time in those communities, what is not done is to just say, well, it's okay. Like there's times that people do discriminatory things and we just kill them with kindness and we're nice, you know, but the underlying message is still what's happening is wrong. And we're going to try to be loving anyway, or we're just going to leave, right? There's so many different scenarios, right? But the underlying message is not that it's okay. And I think as, as parents, that's something that we need to be thinking about too, is like, are we teaching our queer kids that discrimination is okay in some of the things that we're asking them to just like, you know, like water off a duck, it's no big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> it's, or, it's or are, are we are we able to say i know how uncle so-and-so is talking is not okay let's talk about the best way to handle this that you're comfortable with right because different personality types are gonna want to handle it in different ways you know i love all of the phrasing and the different ideas that you've given us for these conversations and stuff i wish we could talk for longer but we are out of time I want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming today. I know life is busy and to give me an hour is really generous of you. And hopefully we all learned a few tips and tricks so that we could swim through these shark and shark infested waters. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. And if there's if there's any sort of discussion um, where, where where people discuss the podcast, I'm always happy to follow up and be helpful wherever I can. So let me know. That's awesome of you. So far, we haven't had a lot of conversation about everyone seems to just be listening, but um, we'll absolutely let you know. I'm a, a kind of a fan of yours personally, um, just as a person and your thoughtful approach to things. So I'm super happy that we got to share this with other people and they could practice these phrases <laughs> that, that you've given us. <laughs> I Yeah, I hope it helps. There's always, always more, but I hope it helps. Thanks so much for joining us here at The Den. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. We'd also love it if you could take a minute to leave us a positive rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Good reviews make us more visible and help us reach more folks who could benefit from listening. But review or not, we're glad you're here. For more information on Mama Dragons and the podcast, you can visit our website at mamadragons.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And if you'd like to help Mama Dragons in our mission to support, educate, and empower the parents of LGBTQ children, donate at mamadragons.org or click the donate link in the show notes.